0: We are continuing our uh, series on the Holy Spirit, and specifically over the last few weeks, our series on the uh, fruits of the Spirit. And I just have to say, this past Thursday, I um, was getting ready to go to the coffee shop and to start um, writing after studying uh, this sermon on peace and patience. And the phone rang, and it was my lovely wife, Rachel, and she had an appointment she had to get to, and she called me to tell me that she was running out the door in, you know, the, uh, the garage, and we have a, a garage-freezer-refrigerator combo there. And she said, the freezer must be out because there's blood seeping out of the bottom. And what you need to know is that Monday night, I went and picked up a cooler full of farm-raised grass-fed, fresh Angus beef. We went in with about 25 other people and and bought a cow. And we got, I guess, 25th of a cow, and that was in our freezer. I've been fishing uh, two or three times over the last few months, and uh, one trip was down in Louisiana where um, I, I caught a cooler of speckled trout and brought a bunch of them back. I caught bass on another occasion All of that ruined. And for the next couple of hours, um, I was mopping up blood and fish juice uh, and cleaning my garage and cleaning my freezer and wondering if this thing had died, which it had to the tune of about six or seven hundred dollars, which we're not going to pay that six or seven hundred dollars to have it fixed. But the whole time that I'm doing this work, and going through that morning, this is what was going, in my, going through my mind. Again, I'm trying to get to the coffee shop to start writing my sermon on peace and patience. And so the scriptures that are going through my mind are the fruit of the Spirit. What God is seeking to do in your life, Richard Reeves, is to produce peace and patience. Philippians 4, 6 and 7 says, Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, through prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your heart and your mind in Christ Jesus. And then James chapter 5. Be patient then, brothers and sisters, until the Lord's coming. See how the farmer waits for the land to yield its valuable crop? patiently waiting for the autumn and spring rains? You too, be patient and stand firm because the Lord's coming is near. Don't grumble against one another, brothers and sisters, or you will be judged. The judge is standing at the door. Brothers and sisters, as an example of patience in the face of suffering, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. As you know, we count as blessed those who have persevered. You have heard of Job's perseverance and have even seeing what the Lord finally brought about in him. I love that. The Lord is full of compassion and mercy. How are you doing on patience this morning? How are you doing on peace this morning? Let's go to the Lord in prayer. And then let's dive in and see what we might learn. Father, we thank you so much that you're a God that wants to do something great in us. We thank you that there is hope for sinners like us. Father, I sometimes question your wisdom. A lot of times I question your wisdom, but this morning may be one of those extreme times that I question your wisdom because I'm probably one of the top five people I know. Um, The the top five most anxious, worry-filled, impatient people. And yet, I thank you for what you are doing in me what you have done in me and what you will do in me. I thank you that I have hope. And I thank you that my brothers and sisters in this room have hope. I thank you for your Spirit who is our hope, the very Spirit of Christ who dwells in us, who lives through us, if we would just get out of the way and get in line. And so I pray this morning, Holy Spirit, that you would come and you would give us eyes to see and ears to hear that you might make us a people that transcend our situations and our, our troubles and our challenging circumstances in life and we might show the world and we might experience heaven ourselves and that we might show the world what is good and what can be their hope too in Christ. Father, you've got to do that. We can't do it for ourselves. So we look forward to you doing it. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. The whole premise of this series on the fruit of the spirit is this holiness is the fruit of the spirit we are changing this we're trying to just take the paradigm that holiness are all the things that you do and try to put that on its head and help us understand that holiness is what you are if holiness is what we are then how are we doing in the the area of peace and patience? And do you even care how you're doing in the area of peace and patience? You see, I don't even think the fruit of the Spirit is on most of our our radars most of the time. It's not on mine a lot of the time. But what is on our radar is the law. I mean, what, we, what, what is in our focus are at least four or five of the Ten Commandments. Maybe we can't remember them all all the time, but we can at least remember four or five. Don't steal. Yeah, I can't do that. Don't, don't covet. Don't lie. Don't take my neighbor's wife. Don't murder. Don't, don't take the Lord's name in vain. Oh, yeah, I've got to be nice to my parent. I mean, we have the law before us, and that's the standard upon which we gauge how we're doing. And yet what the, the fruit of the Spirit teaches us, what Galatians 5 teaches us, is there it's not necessarily the way that God views it. You see, God's gauge is what's going on in us, not what's going on outside of us. That's a big deal. And yet we say, oh, come on, peace and patience. I mean, nobody has peace or patience in these days. I mean, with social media always going off, with the TV, with all this stuff going on, I mean, you never, I mean, none of us, all of us are impatient. None of us have peace, right? But what we're seeing this morning is that what God wants to do in us is make us peaceful, patient people. I was thinking about that this week a lot. And I was thinking of it in light of the greatest commandment. Love God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. And I was thinking about it in terms of the question that uh, the, the expert in the law brought to Jesus. You remember the question. He said, okay, well, if that's the greatest commandment, then who is my neighbor? And we all remember how Jesus answered. Jesus answered by telling him a story about two religious guys that came upon a man who had been robbed beaten and left for dead. And the two religious guys were so busy, so consumed with where they had to go and what they had to do that they did not have time, so they passed by on the other side of the road to act like they didn't seem. But then you had this irreligious guy, you had this pagan, if you will, this unbelieving person, a Samaritan, a cultural and racial outcast, who does what? He stops. He stops. He bandages the wounds, and he takes him to a hotel, and he pays for the room, and he he cares for him. And as I'm thinking about that in light of peace and patience, I thought, you know, the opposite of peace is anxiety and worry. And the opposite of patience is impatience, which is anger over a disrupted schedule. And then I kind of made the conclusion that an anxious, impatient person will never stop and see the needs around them, because all they see is themselves. They're consumed with their own situations, consumed with their own life, consumed with what's going on here, not what's going on out there. And so now can you kind of see the brilliance of what God is doing? He is trying to give us a peace and a patience that transcends our situations so that we can be of some good to God and others. So that his mission can go beyond us in our lives. So that we can be freed from thinking about us and we can actually have some peace no matter the circumstances of our lives. And we can actually have some patience when our schedules are interrupted. Don't you want that? Well, that's what the Spirit can give us. That's the hope that we have this morning. That we can be peace-loving, peaceful, and patient, patient people. See, the reason that we're not holy is because we are not holy. (laughs) There is sin inside of us. Holiness begins and ends with who you are, not what you do. So that's why we can do, this is why it's so important, that's why we can do a lot of good stuff and have no impact on those around us. It's why we can be in Memphis, Tennessee, one of the most over-churched cities in the world, probably, and yet simultaneously be the poorest city in the world. It's also why we can be in one of the most over-churched cities in the world and yet have a, a real and hardened unbelieving element in our city. I believe that to a large degree we as the church need to take responsibility for the hardness of the hearts of those that live around us. Because what they've seen is hypocrisy, and hypocrisy is nothing more, nothing less than doing good things without being good. It's doing good things but you're not really good. You don't really care about who you're loving or who you're serving. You don't really care about those around you, but you're doing the right things. And when we do good things without being good ourselves, the world stands back and says, "I see right through it and I smell it coming from a mile away." Jesus talked about this. He said in Luke 6, "No good tree bears bad fruit." Nor does a bad tree bear good fruit. Each tree tree is recognized by its own fruit. People do not pick figs from thorn bushes or grapes from briars. A good man brings good things out of the good stored up in his heart. And an evil man brings evil things out of the evil stored up in his heart. For the mouth speaks what the heart is full of. What Jesus is saying is that you can have a shiny Lamborghini A red, shiny Lamborghini with, you know, uh, silver wheels, rims. (laughs) And you can wax that thing and you can clean that thing, but if the engine is rusted, you've got something really pretty that's going to get you nowhere. And the church has been too consumed with being, with, with looking pretty and not being beautiful. So the question is, does that fit you today? You see, if holiness is peace and patience, then what a broken refrigerator was for me Thursday morning was a bigger danger, or at least as equal a danger, as a woman trying to seduce me to her bed. You hear me? Because church, we just define holiness as staying away from sex, drugs, and rock and roll. And God says, no. (laughs) He says, it goes much deeper. Cheer up. You're worse than you think because the reason that that the only way to be a Christian is to acknowledge that sin is not out there somewhere, but sin is in here. The only way to be a Christian is to acknowledge the inwardness of sin. That's what distinguishes a Christian from a non-Christian. Everybody acknowledges that, Okay, I'm not perfect. But what is sin? It's kind of like a stomach virus. It's something you catch. It's a season of life. And once you kind of get it out of your system, you're good. And the Christian says, Uh-uh. no. The Christian says the heart is deceptive above all things. The non-Christian says the, the problem is out there. Occasionally me, but you know, but really out there, the Christian says, no, the problem is here. It's me. I'm to blame. So my broken Freezer was, a, was was so dangerous because it what it did was it, it posed a threat to peace and, and patience and therefore holiness in my life. The holiness is peace and patience so we need the sermon. <laughs> well let's dive in. what is peace? What is peace? Peace is confidence. In God, and in His present and future will. Peace is confidence in God and in His present and future will. The military forces in Egypt uh, ousted their, the president of the country, President Morsai, a month or two ago. I can't remember when it was. And um party, the Muslim Brotherhood, did not take very kindly to it. And so they had been rallying in two major points in, um, in Egypt. And this week, the military said enough is enough, and they started moving in, and not just trying to disperse the crowd, but trying to disperse the crowd with gunfire. And they began killing people. Well, the, the Muslim Brotherhood, or at least some elements of the Muslim Brotherhood, said, we're not standing here and taking this. And what they did is they really declared war, and, and, and their, their anger focused primarily on, on the Coptic Christians in the country. And 40 to 50 churches have been burned. And, and, and many believers have been, have been killed. And so if you are a, a, a Christian in Egypt today you know one thing. One thing is abundantly obvious, and that is you are not at peace. And because you know that you're not at peace, it changes how you are going to live in the city. You're going to live with your eyes open. And what we see this morning is that as Christians, we must understand that there are forces constantly scheming to rob us of peace. If what God is seeking to do in our lives is produce peace in us, a peace that passeth all understanding, then we have to know that there are forces that are seeking to rob us of peace. I think we see this in our passage. Paul said, don't be anxious about anything, but in every situation. Don't be anxious about anything, but in every situation every situation don't be anxious about anything but in every situation you see we need to understand and what Paul is saying is this is that every single situation that you encounter sitting here right now every situation every little thing around you every little thing in you is a threat to your peace in God, Do you understand that what happened um, this past week is so much more than just my refrigerator going out, but my refrigerator going out on Thursday sought to shatter my trust and my confidence in the goodness of God. Do you understand that you're not just single? But your singleness is a situation in your life that, that all the forces around you that are evil are going to seek to use to make you question God's good and wise control of your life. Do you understand if you're married that you're not just married? But your marriage is going to be a situation, and every little element of that marriage is going to be a situation where the evil one and your flesh and the world around you is going to use constantly to try to get you to doubt the goodness of God's control of your life. Do you understand that if you're a teacher and you found out you've got the worst class you've ever had, or you've got one or two bad students, whatever that looks like, unruly or whatever, Do you understand that that's not just a situation? But that's a situation that is going to threaten to rob you of your confidence that God knows what he's doing in your life. Are you a student and you have a bad teacher? I mean, I can go on and on. How how much time do we have? Do you understand when he says in everything, in every situation, in all things, it doesn't matter. I'm walking my dog this morning by the river, looking over this sermon, and I've got my dog on a leash, and my dog keeps running around my feet. I'm like, all right, I'm, I'm preaching on peace and patience. And finally, I just, you know, yelled out, I cussed my dog, basically. And I caught myself. I am cussing my dog when I'm going over my sermon on every situation. God, why didn't you give me an obedient dog? Every situation. So the first step toward peace is the awareness of the fact that situations are threats to your peace. So don't get consumed with your situation. Look beyond your situation to what is really at stake, that your situation is nothing more than a bullet coming at you that you can dodge, but you can just let it consume you and hit you and take you down first step is to understand that every situation threatens your peace. The second step is to affirm that you can't do step number one. There's no way. I mean, did you watch the war? Maybe I'm too old. I don't remember when this, the Gulf War, the desert storm. that's, That's when I learned the word sortie. I've never heard the word sortie, but a sortie is kind of a barrage of 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 bombs, you know, going off in the—I mean, there's like this barrage of bombs coming at a city. Boom, 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 boom. boom. I mean, thousands. That's a sortie, okay? That's what's coming at us. Because think about all the situations that are going on, even right now. And this is a relatively inactive moment. But think about the sorties that are coming at you. All the—there's no way that you can do it. You need the Holy Spirit. You must cry out to the Holy Spirit daily, but you've got to understand that your peace is at stake. And yet, Paul gives us something to do to participate with the Spirit. He says, In every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, make your requests known to God. Now, I want you to know, he's saying so much more than just go pray. I'll say it this way. I think, Everybody has prayed. If you live long enough, you'll pray. Whether you're a Christian or not. But here's the, the essence of most prayers. God changed this situation. And your all your peace rests on God changing the situation. But here's the thing. How in the world, then, do you pray with thanksgiving? I mean, how can I have thanksgiving before God answers the prayer. The only way to do that is to accept His answer before He gives it. Peace comes as we trust God in prayer to do what is best, not to do what we want. Let me say it again. Peace comes in prayer not when God does for us what we want Him to do. But peace comes in prayer when we accept His answer before He gives it. Because we have a constant faith in who God is. Paul tells us in Ephesians 2 that our God is one who works out everything in conformity with His pleasure and perfect will. Do you believe that? In the situations that you're facing right now, do you believe that you have a God who works out everything in conformity with the purpose of His will? Romans 12:2 tells us, Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, His good, pleasing, and perfect will. Now, what is all this stuff about renewing of your mind? Why do we need our minds renewed in order to discern God's good, pleasing, and perfect will? It's this. We need the Spirit of God to come in and do His work to correct our thinking so that we can get this one reality whatever's happening right now is god's will god's will is not some mystical thing that we've got to come. if you're married that's god's will if you're single that's god's will if you've got a bad class that's god's will if if you it's god's will does that mean that he loves hurting and pain does that mean he's the author of it absolutely not everything in him is against evil and injustice and oppression and he has sent his son and one day, someday, he's going to end it all. There is a day coming, as James tells us, where the, when, he, when the Lord comes, that he will set all things right. But he is also active right now. To accept that your situation that you're in right now is God's will for right now is not to say it's good, it's to say God is making it good. Why? Because we serve a God who's working all things for the good of those who love Him and have been called according to His purpose. You see, God is amazing. He can take the worst things in your life and make them good for you. Think about Joseph. That guy was hated by his brothers, sold into slavery. His whole life was wrecked by his brothers. I mean, he spends time in jail. He's falsely accused of things. I mean, life does not turn out as he thought it would turn out. He was separated from his family and his father, whom he loved, and yet he gets to the end of his life. His brothers come in, and and he reveals who he is to them, and and they're all scared he's going to kill him. He says, no, 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 guys, you meant it for evil. What do they say? But my God meant it for good. What did God do? He took the worst thing possible, slavery. And he did something good by making Joseph who he was and by drawing his heart deep into him, making him dependent upon God. Unbelievable. He had peace beyond his situation because he was resting in God as good no matter what. He knew he had a father, and his father was God and infinitely good. He believed the words of the songwriter before the the words were even written. Everything my God ordains is right. You want to know how to get peace? Believe that. Well, how do we believe it? The same way, the same path to anxiety and worry is the path to peace. How do we become anxious? We believe the worst about the future, we believe the promises that are going in our minds oh, oh it's going to be horrible. This is the worst class. God doesn't love you because you're single. Your spouse, you know you could do better than that. On and on. I mean, all that. Peace comes as you stop listening to your heart and you start talking to your heart. You see, God has given us His Word not that we might put it on the shelf and look at it adoringly and say, I believe in the Word of God, but He has given us those promises that we can feed on them like a like, like a hungry mule. <laughs> that, that, that we can feed on them like a pig. You ever seen a pig eat? Man, he can't get enough and he doesn't care what his face looks like. That's how we must be with the promises of God. Because that is true. Quit thinking about and, and believing the lies that are coming into your mind and heart by the situations that are being preached to you by the situations around you and start believing what God says is true. This is what David did in Psalm 42. Listen, he said, Why, my soul, are you downcast? Is that, is that God, like, schizophrenic? He's, Why, my soul, are you downcast? I mean, really? He's talking to himself. No, he's preaching to himself. Why are you downcast, O my soul? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise Him, my Savior and my God. Do you know what David is doing? He's not allowing his heart to dictate his peace, but he's allowing what he knows to be true about God to dictate his peace. Do you do that? Feast on the Word of God and His promises, and then you will have peace. And then lastly, patience. What is patience? Patience. Patience is calm rest in the face of delayed gratification. That's a mouthful. Let me break it down more simply. Patience is acting right when your plan is interrupted. All right? That's a little bit easier, but we're going to kind of bounce between the two. Patience is calm rest in the face of delayed gratification. Patience is acting right when your plan is interrupted. Thursday morning, I had a schedule, and it did not include cleaning up blood and fist juice for two hours and smelling like that for a couple of days. I had a schedule, and so when I began to, to tackle the situation, I, I felt my blood pressure rising. And I'm a very impatient person, and I see this constantly. I get mad when I'm impatient. And you know what? I'm not the only one because that's the, the, really the essence of what um, impatience is patience is calm rest in the face of delayed gratification here's what i mean by that uh, a schedule or a to-do list is nothing more to an impatient person at least than a list of things that once completed brings the temporary euphoria of gratification and rest do you know why us to-do list people us man i got to get this done you know why we are just always on task blah, 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 blah. So we can get here and look back and look back on our creation and say, Oh, behold, it is good. (laughs) We are like crack addicts that want that euphoria at the end of the day when we lay our head down, when we contemplate our creation for the day, like God, Oh, oh, that feels good. Look at all I did today. And so what happens? When your freezer goes out, when your car breaks down, when you don't get the raise, when when things don't work out, you know what happens? You get mad. But guess what? You're not just getting mad. You're getting mad at God. Let me come back a little bit here. The Greek word that James uses in James chapter 5 for patience is uh, macrothumos. You say, oh boy, that's exciting. Well, here's what it means. Macro means large, kind of a large view, all right? Um, Thumos means anger. So it doesn't mean you've got a big anger. It means you've got a long, you can go a long time without getting angry. It is a long forbearance. That's what patience is, okay? And so impatience is having a short fuse. Well, therefore, James gives us three examples of what Um, what patience looks like, what a a non-short fuse, having a long fuse, looks like. It looks like this. First of all, it looks like a farmer who must patiently wait for the autumn, spring rains. My neighbor in downtown is a farmer. He has a farm in Arkansas, and he goes to his farm every day. And a lot of times we'll talk, you know what we talk about a lot? The weather. His farm is on the river, you know what we talk about a lot? The level of the water on the Mississippi River. Why? Because his whole life, his whole livelihood depends on the rain. His whole livelihood depends on the weather. His whole livelihood depends on waiting and he has no control of it. He doesn't have those fancy irrigation systems. So if there's too much rain or not enough rain, his crops are done. But that man can wait. He's older and he's learned to wait. That's what James is telling us. Patience is. But I'm not a patient person. So you know the opposite of patience is control. I'm going to determine the way I'm going to be satisfied and gratified today by my schedule and my to-do list. I'm going to hover over the the waters of chaos, and I'm going to say, here's the way out, and this is the way things are going to go. It's controlled. It's fed by false utopias or perfect outcomes. I've worked this long. I should get a raise. I've worked this hard. I'm going to write a sermon. My freezer should not break down. I kept myself until I was married. I should have a perfect marriage. You're beginning to see the evil of impatience. Unfortunately, or fortunately, this week, in dissecting it, I've learned a lot. You see, what we're really mad at, I said it a minute ago, is God. And if we can learn patience with God, we'll have patience with people. You hear me? Because here's our focus. We think it's just that boss. Or bosses think it's just that employee. Or husbands think it's just my wife. Or wives think it's just my husband. Or the single person thinks it's just the fact I'm single. Or, you know, that guy won't look at me. Or that girl won't look at me. They've ruined my life. They broke up with me. Whatever all that is. We're constantly, you know, blaming people out here. But who put those people in your life? Who brought you that employee? Who brought you that boss? Who brought you that girlfriend? Who brought you that boyfriend? Who... Do you see it? And so who you're really mad at, what you've really got to get mad at or recognize is that when you are impatient, when I'm impatient, I'm mad at God ultimately. I'm saying, I don't want to submit to your schedule for me. I can do it better. Get out of my face and let me live my life because I'm pretty sure I can do it better than you. And so... We've got to understand that our impatience is directed at God and it's evil. It's so evil, James says this, Don't grumble against one another, brothers and sisters, or you will be judged. The judge is standing at the door. Now, we've got to go deep into this. Because I'm an impatient person. (laughs) And when I saw that, I said, whoa, now, time out. The judge is standing at the door. What do you mean by that? What James is saying there is this: that there is nothing more pagan-like than impatience, because pagan religion says this: I make this sacrifice, and God, you dance for me the way I want you to dance for me. I do this, God, you 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 hold up your end of the bargain. And I do this, and that's what most people think Christianity is. I'm good, you bless me. I'm good, you bless me. I'm good, you. Well, just go ask Job, and we're going to look at him in a minute. <laughs> A righteous man lost everything. You see, here's how it really works God is holy, holy, holy. There is no one more holy and righteous than the God of the universe. And our efforts to try to appease him are pathetic. There is no way that we can appease a holy God. And yet, he's not just holy, he's loving. And so, he sent his son to fulfill the law in our place and to be condemned for our sin so that now God can bless us with His presence and His love. And when we believe that, when we believe God's grace for us, that it's only by grace through faith that I'm saved, then we begin to live humbly before God. See, grace convinces us that God is a God we can trust. Grace convinces us that He gave everything He could possibly give to own us as His son or daughter. And nothing can separate us from His love. That's what grace tells us. And so we have to believe that if we're going to be patient. And to not believe that is to reject grace. is to reject the gospel. And this works not just in isolated situations, like a freezer breaking... But what patience does, the kind of patience that the Spirit of God wants to produce in your life, is to kind of get you to, to live above your life and to see what the situations is what they are, and to give you a long view of His faithfulness. Did you see it in James, where, where James says, "Be patient, wait for the Lord. He's coming. The Lord's coming. He's right at the door. Wait, wait, wait. It's beautiful. You see, ultimately, patience is waiting for God to make all things right in His time. Patience is not just giving in and saying, Oh, woe is me. Patience is saying, I hate this, but my God's going to make it right one day. It's to have this deep inner sense that God is coming by the power of his Spirit and He's going to do something good and right. The Psalms are full of this. Listen, Psalm twenty seven fourteen. Wait patiently for the Lord. Be brave and courageous, yet wait patiently for the Lord. Psalm 37, 7, be still in the presence of the Lord and wait patiently for him to act. Psalm 62, 1, I wait patiently before God for my victory comes from him. And then Proverbs 20, don't say I will get even for this wrong. Wait for the Lord to handle the matter. Wait for the Lord and he will develop patience in you. Now, here is my favorite thing that I've said this morning because I've been looking for hope for us impatient people all week. And here it is. And the hope is this, he points to Job. Job was a man who uh, was a righteous man and God allowed Satan to rob him of his wife and his family and his wealth and his health and everything. And during all of that, he was getting impatient and impatient. He was questioning God. He was fighting with God. You saw his impatience. But then we come to the end of the book. And we read this, and and that's exactly what James is saying. He said, look what happened with Job. Look how it all ended. Listen, then Job, at the last chapter of Job, then Job replied to the Lord, I know that you can do all things. No purpose of yours can be thwarted. You asked, who is this that obscures my plans without knowledge? In other words, there was a time in Job's life when he says, who in the world is wrecking my plans? Who is this God? what did he say? Surely I spoke of things I didn't understand. I was a fool when I was fighting against you. Things too wonderful for me to know. At one time, he was an impatient man. But God perfected patience in his life by his spirit. And so much so, at the end of the book, he's even praying for his, his rascal friends. He's offering up prayers for his friends who had just betrayed him and made fun of him and lobbed, you know, jokes at him while in the midst of his suffering. He prays for them. After Job had prayed for his friends, the Lord restored his fortunes. So Job learned patience by the Spirit of God. Patience with God and patience with others. Because he understood how good God was And he understood that nothing that God ordained to come to him in his life was to destroy him, but to bless and change and give him life. So, dear friends, can you trust that God this morning? You can if you look at the cross. Because the cross says there is nothing that God's going to withhold from you, but maybe your will right now. So that he can give you something better, namely himself. My friends, may we leave this place today filled up with the gospel of Jesus who, who loves us, who has forgiven us of our sins, that we might become peaceful and patient people. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you so much for the beauty of your Son, or thank you for the beauty of your work for us. I thank you, Lord Jesus, that you did not hesitate to bless us with your own body that you gave everything so that we might have life and so that we might live in peace, the peace that knows that you're a God that loves us and is sovereignly ruling all things good. And we can have patience because you're a God that loves us and will never give up on us. Oh God, help us to believe it today and may we go live holy lives this week exhibiting peace and patience where once we exhibited anxiety and anger. We pray this for the glory of Christ. Amen.